Hello everyone, it's Friday the 7th of May and welcome to episode 54 of the Kite Podcast with me, Will Evans. And me, Ben Eagle. Now, as you will all know, one of our favourite subjects on the show is the weather. And if there's one thing that's been somewhat lacking for many people recently, especially for us Essex boys and girls, it's been rain. Also, despite being one of the sunniest Aprils on record, according to the Met Office, it's been the coldest April in the UK since 1922, and in Germany, the coldest since 1917. However, many of us have enjoyed a little rain more recently um, to up the spirits and grass cutting prospects. However, as always, it's not just the weather here that we're interested in, but weather patterns on a more global basis. And when talking about cropping prospects on a global basis, who better to invite on the show than today's guest, James Bolsworth, who is Managing Director at CRM Agri Commodities. We're also joined by Kite's Managing Partner, John Allen, and as always, by everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Walkland. But before we talk weather, um, commodity prospects and milk flows, um, it's time for the Milk Market Report. Over to you, Chris. Where are you this week? Well, this is an exciting one this week because I'm bringing you my report from the back of a police van. And it's all because we're talking about the weather, which means climate change. And we can't talk about that without mentioning Greta Thunberg. <clears throat> so earlier today, I took a leaf out of Greta's book and started my very own school strike for the climate. I got suitably dressed in a pair of bright shorts in case it was hot and sunny and put on one of my famous coats, a long grey Macintosh in case it was raining. <laughs> and then stood outside the local comprehensive with a big placard. Oh, no. Just like Greta does. <laughs> Cow burps killing the planet, it questions. That's bull. P.S. Drink milk. Hmm, clever, huh? And me doing my bit for milk promotion. And boy, do these school strikes get some attention. I can tell you that. Passers-by have certainly <laughs> seemed very picky. <laughs> judging by the white birth they were all keeping so their friends could see. Then some lovely police officers turned up. <laughs> and then it gets even better. Because they told me if I did it again, I'd be doing time. How fabulous is that? First, Greta gets on the cover of Time magazine in a big interview about the climate. And now me! <laughs> top British dairying and the kite podcast is a career high. So I'd better be quick with my reporters. I expect I'll be very busy for the rest of the day. It was GDT auction this week, but nothing much happened, I'm afraid. The index was down marginally all over, um, over all commodities and contracts but the average commodity price was still up slightly compared to the last auction. Butter crashed, though, but S&P added a bit, including Arla's, which is now a fiver off its highest price again after a brief dip. Basically, the auction is reflecting the market, stable but directionless, I'd say, and the commodities still convert into a milk price that UK farmers can only dream of in the mid 30s and it nudges the New Zealand all season price even more towards that 30p overall level. In Europe the official prices were pretty static on powders again with SMP edging up slightly. 
But the real traded market seems a bit more static, though. Young Cheddar, Gouda, Mozzarella and Skim, they all stayed the same as did Whey and Skim Concentrate. Butter fell back in Germany, but we've still got an inflated French price to thank for keeping the average above €4,000. But we don't like thanking the French, do we? Non, monsieur especially not when they've got their battos moored outside one of our dependencies. Anyway, the real traded market is still slightly less than uh, €4,000. Futures crept up a bit on butter, which is good. They're well over the 4100 threshold. Butter in New Zealand dropped a bit, though, and they're below EU prices. EU skim futures are the same and still healthy and slightly ahead of the real traded market. Together, they convert to prices well ahead of 30p, though, through to October. So despite a lot of milk price increases coming through this week, far too many to mention, there should be more money to come. But what should be and what will be are not the same, of course. Uh, Certainly some processors will be hoping there's a surge in cream prices to pay for their increases, as it's still pretty rubbish at 130 to 135. But there is a lot of optimism about with further relaxation of lockdown and eating out. But that has not been reflected in market prices yet. Spot milk prices are still in the doldrums at 20p, with the freezing weather still affecting grass growth and milk volumes, which we're going to talk about now. But that's where I'll defer to the greater wisdom of John and James, as I've got to get back to my strike with that interview about doing time looming large. Don't forget to buy a copy. Goodbye. (laughs) I think some of the audience will look forward to you doing time, Chris. (laughs) I think Becky might as well. I want, I want to drop in a, a reference to Line of Duty, but uh, I can't <laughs> yeah. I'm, now I'm wondering if Chris has been H all along. Um, <laughs> James, welcome back to the show. Uh, we're going to start by talking about the weather picture generally, as Chris mentioned. Europe has generally had quite a late and cold spring, but what's been happening elsewhere in the world in terms of weather and what impact do you think this is going to have on prospects for harvest in 2021? Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me back on again. Um, And uh, it it really is an interesting time to be talking about weather. I mean, as a a commodity market analyst, uh, we generally do love to drivel on about the weather, but uh, when there's something going on like this, Um, It makes the job a whole lot more interesting. And uh, the markets are reacting as they usually would do, but in an extreme way to uh, this sort of severe weather market on the back of what has been a season of very tight stocks globally. If you remember last year, you know, we saw um, some huge weather events, uh, particularly when we look at the US, big storms ripped through just before their their corn harvest um, and uh, really did disappoint American farmers there. Um, as well as that big surge in Chinese demand, which we covered in the last podcast. And now you've got on top of that, 
um, South American weather, which is particularly dry. And um, you know, I was looking at a weather map this morning, uh, uh, which you know everybody is doing very closely at the moment. And there is just this huge gaping hole in the rainfall forecasts for Brazil uh, and parts of Argentina as well, uh, really as far out as uh, any reasonable forecast will go. Um, uh, the, the confidence um, is only really strong for 10 days. And then beyond that, um, uh, you do start to get some signs of rainfall, which in, in, in weather forecasting is, is a very long term uh, forecast. Uh, until we start to see any sort of potential rainfall on, on the 10 day forecast, this market is going to remain very, very nervous. Um, and you know, really, if we look back, it's been a 15 percent rise in feed wheat here in the UK on new crops since January, 30% increase in corn. And that just shows it is corn driving this market. And that corn has been driven by fundamental weather events happening in South America and indeed the US where farmers are well into their planting season. So uh, this is uh, going to be a very interesting couple of weeks now, uh, particularly as uh, we draw uh, further into the sort of productivity phases within the US and, um, and markets will be very, very sensitive to it, as I said. God, well, yeah, great summary. Um, I have to say, I mean, I, I, from, from the purpose point of view of the feed markets, then uh, I think James has summarised it really well. And obviously he's pointed out we are in a weather market and things can change. So I'm sure James would be the first to say that, you know, that the, that because the markets, the managed funds, as far as I understand, James, have uh, come in and actually stimulated the markets. And they do give messages, don't they? They give messages that are quite scary at present on feed. Uh, but I guess, how do you see it from that point of view? Do you think, you know, it, it can change? Or yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing to remember is that the market has already priced in a lot of this risk, a lot of this weather risk. And as, as you rightly said, the funds, uh, the hedge funds, the, the speculative funds all around the world um, have really got interested again in commodities, not just not just agriculture, but wider sectors as well. Um, uh, and uh, and that has just put fuel on the fire and driven markets to levels which ultimately are overinflated. Um, it doesn't mean they're not going to go higher, but actually, if you if you look back at um, at, at these sorts of events, I'm talking about 2012 when we saw that drought in the U.S. on the corn, 2010 driven by uh, predominantly Russian export bans and political interference, and then 2008 um, uh, where you know it was a very severe weather market as well. Um, the market has spent a very, in percentage terms, a very small amount of time uh, at these sorts of levels. Um, and you know, working with sellers as well and speaking to, to businesses working with sellers all around the world, you, you can bet that they are very, very interested at these sorts of levels. Yeah. <laughs> How do you think, because the thing that I, I sort of am reflecting on at present is you've got the short-term issues and we'll talk about the milk flows and things in a minute and, and the impact on farm because not only is it the feed cost, but it's the forage uh, situation that in the UK and Northwestern Europe. I thought you made a really good point there, Ben, about uh, you know the, the cold conditions across Northwestern Europe. Uh, and, and that's going to have a knock-on effect potentially onto the dairy markets, which I think we can come back to. But, but I suppose, James, my perspective is that you know, are we actually in a readjustment phase as we come out of COVID with China and the Far East in terms of is this a reset of the commodities market? Because we saw it in 2007, 8, 
and and the world seems to change and are we entering with the potential inflation down the line as well are we going to enter into a new reset on commodities what's your view on that it it's certainly a factor which is being discussed um and and most economists uh well it's a split it's, it's actually a bit of a split uh, uh some economists feel that yes we're entering this transitionary cyclical commodity bull market others think that you know if you look at the drivers um of, of other historical major bull markets such as the industrial revolution you know we're not in a in a phase yet of that sort of significance and structural change there's talk that that sort of structural change could come you know from the shift to uh, more to renewables and electric cars and that sort of thing um but i think it's too early to start suggesting that we're seeing a structural shift in commodity markets and a rebalancing um and, and all the signs are there to suggest that these sorts of levels with involvement from weather um from tight stocks and from uh, outside funds and money markets show a market which has been overbought and uh, is due a correction uh, but you know just to highlight you know and, and as i said when i came on last time you need to be very cautious particularly over um as well when we spoke last time it was the first six months of this year we would extend that really now uh out into the end of the year uh, because of the growing weather risks and if if it remains dry and that weather risk gets pushed to the to, to, to the us um in a more severe way than it is already then uh, we've got the potential to see this problem being extended out into 2022 mm. yeah and closer to home for our listener uh chris <laughs> And uh, what what what's it going to do when we think about milk flows? I mean, milk flows. Uh, we're probably just approaching peak, aren't we? The eleventh or twelfth or something. And yeah, it's not peaks. Normally, the uh, in a normal year, you know, first or second week of May, probably more the second week. Uh, I don't think the rain will have done much good. I mean, you've got three farmers on the uh, on the on the podcast today, um, James and and. Um, where I am in Middle England Shire, we had a bit of rain, but it will have dried up now, I guess, with the wind and the sun. I don't think the rain will have will have done any good at all. It might have done in Cumbria where they've had a decent uh, drop. But what I hear from my contacts around the country is it's just been so damn cold and and the grass has, has, has been burning off. Yeah, <clears throat> and I think... The one thing the weather has done is probably saved us from that potential crisis on peat milk. So we've avoided that, although we still are up a little bit on last year. But I suppose the other thing... The process is, is a breathing, uh, uh, you know, breathing yeah. a big sigh of relief yeah. over, yeah. over flush. And one of the big factories had a breakdown, big breakdown, and they couldn't get engineers in to, uh, to mend one of the dryers. So that did not help. So if that situation had arisen at the same time as Mother Nature had been kind on uh, farmers, we would have been in a real muddle. Yeah, because mm. the big problem we've got uh, at farm level is really we've got a two-edged sword. So we've got James and your forecasts on the feed costs, which are, are uncertain, but there's one certainty we have got now, and that is that we've almost missed a first cut of silage. And it sounds a bit dramatic, but what we are thinking, especially in the north of England, you go north of uh, Birmingham and the forage stocks in terms of the silage crops are really well down. There's been some first cuts taken, light first cuts south of Birmingham and in the southwest. So a lot of people have gone early. 
but <clears throat> we're, we're estimating that probably we're down by three to four tons a hectare in terms of where the grass growth is because of it because of this very cold period that Chris was talking about the dry. So we what think. What percentage would that be, John? Well, that would get on for twenty five percent. You see, we're missing. We're we're a month behind on the growth curves. And if you look in terms of a lot of farmers are saying, oh, well, it'll make up, it'll bulk up, you know, and it'll be a late heading season. Well, we have to <laughs> correct them and explain that actually heading dates are normally only delayed by a couple of days if you get a very cold weather like this. So the grass will head in the third, fourth week in May. And regardless, and they'll just be like first cuts or if they let them bulk up, they'll be rubbish. They'll not be very good silage. And once it starts raining, you can guarantee it probably won't stop. So, yeah, we've got all those potentials lying out there. But as it sits here today, I reckon, Chris, we've got a added cost potentially coming down the line due to reduced forage uh, between two and three P a litre. So it's quite important. Yeah. Now, this can all change, you know, but if we're not careful we're going to bake that in and i think that's going to impact on milk flows across uk maybe later but also in northwestern europe which will help your markets potentially it will yeah so we solve a problem now with a thrush but we create one later in the year yeah and the other thing chris interestingly with all the analysis we've got on carving profiles is that actually this peak will go over quicker because there's been a big move to water block carving and actually, those cows will be dried off in June, July, and then for the the, the trough will move. And it's moving backwards towards probably August, September as a trough rather than October, November. So I think that's what milk buyers will need to start to factor in. That's a UK situation. But the markets in dairy will be driven by, the, the I think, potentially the lack of milk across northwestern Europe. Such a big milk field, Ben. And, and uh, you know, they, they, that's where the milk is made in Europe, largely. And if and this will potentially start to have some impacts now. James, are the, um, I know we're not supposed to trust experts these days, according mm. to the government, but are the experts <laughs> telling us anything in terms of long-term weather patterns? Is this, is this just what we're going to have to get used to now? Uh, certainly, we've seen a, a shift to more erratic uh, seasonal changes, um, uh, drier springs, wetter winters. Um, uh, as I say, you know, long term in weather forecasting is really sort of 10 to 15 days at the moment. Um, uh, and, and even that, you know, you're not looking at great consistency um, uh, on a global scale. So um, I would say, you know, anecdotally speaking, that uh, yes, you know, we are seeing a, a shift in climate patterns, uh, but it's probably one for another another podcast of the climate change debate. And maybe you could get um, uh, Donald Trump and Greta Thunberg on to, to battle it out. That, that, that I'm sure would get. There's the challenge, Becky. <laughs> <laughs> Don, Don's not doing anything else at the moment. <laughs> you, you never know. <laughs> exactly. um, but no, I mean, on a serious note, uh, what one thing to do in terms of tracking uh, the longer term forecasts, which we monitor, is uh, ENSO. So basically, the, the shift between La Nina and El Nino. Uh, we've been in a strong La Nina for a while, and, and all the forecasts are suggesting um, we are very much in that. But as we move through into June, July, August, um, what we're seeing is is a shift to what's called ENSO neutral, um, and that means essentially that the, the the indication is we will see an, a better 
growing season in the US and the Northern Hemisphere um, as we move into the summer. Um, so, you know, right now we're in the heat of this of this weather market, but, you know, the longer term pattern is, is, is for improvement. Yeah. With that in mind, James, are you willing to put your thoughts on the line in terms of uh, outlook for feed commodity prices as, as the year unfolds later in the year? Yeah, so I, I think, um, as I said, this is um, this is a market of extremes. Um, uh, a lot of the risk has already been priced in. You've got to remember that when people are talking about where markets might go next. Um, the, the, the market is expecting a significant reduction in availability from the likes of Brazil, uh, where we're probably looking at around a 90 to 95 million tonne corn crop now, um, uh, which is it's sharply lower on, on a well over 100, 110 million tonne crop, which we were looking at not so long ago. Um, uh, so I, I would say at the moment, but caution, the you know, caution to taking a gamble on forecasts, you need to be watching them very closely, but assuming that we start to see some rainfall appearing in South America and we have a reasonable growing season in the US, then these markets are starting to look quite toppy. Um, if we start to see uh, any sort of weather risk um, uh, rolling into the, the US growing season or the peak of the US growing season, then uh, there's certainly room for more upside. So yeah, we wouldn't be taking a gamble this season on the forecast. And um, and if you want to do that, there's plenty of ways in which you can do it without without gambling with your, your physical feed supplies. Mm. Mm. Um, John, let's turn to maize perhaps. Um, what are you hearing about um, the May season and, and prospects for maize later on? Well, People, I think in general, have delayed drilling because you really want reasonable soil temperatures and you certainly don't want maize coming up into the frost that we're getting at present. But the maize is going in and it's going into seed beds, which are pretty good in general. And perhaps Will might comment on his situation. Uh, and I think it, maize, we know, has a great potential to bulk up. And it's the, it's the heat units it's going to get from middle of June that are going to matter. And so I, I would have said maize is the great white hope, forgive me, if we could, because it could actually fill the barns in the summer, you know, if, if things didn't, you know, it, so it's got the potential to do that. I won't call what maize will do at present. Uh, it's just been a slightly later season, but, you know, at present it's got potential with the recent rain to actually come out of the ground and do something. What would you say, Will? Yeah, we've put ours in. Um, we, we like to get ours in early and off early because of potential floods where we are, um, which is always, uh, you've always got to think several months ahead with these things, haven't you? But um, yeah, most of it's gone in around here. And, and yes, the frost is a concern, but um, yeah, it's one of those, isn't it? Where you have to take a calculated risk, but we could do with the soil warming up for sure. Yeah, it's the north which has got the problems because, as we said earlier, that, you know, I think maize is generally a crop for the south. Mm. And uh, in the north, you know, they've had a terrible late spring. Uh, forage, you know, grass growth has been pretty awful. And, you know, they haven't got the hope of maize, whereas at least in the south, they've got the potential that maize might help fill the barns. Mm -hmm. And finally, then, James, from a UK perspective, what are your early thoughts on the prospects for the UK arable harvest this year? Ben and I await your answer with bated breath. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be careful what I say because um, I know full well speaking to arable farmers all around the UK uh, the different situations which which farmers are in. Uh, but on the whole, I can tell you one thing for sure: is it's going to be a lot better than last year when we look at the wheat and you know, there we were looking at around a 10 million ton crop 
This year, we're expecting a wheat crop of around 14 million tonnes. Obviously, the next few months will be will be key to that. Um, Aussie rape's an interesting one. Um, it is likely to be below a million tonnes, which is, is, is a real deficit. And, and mm. we can see that um, in how tight not just the UK market is, but globally, rapeseed is really um, a, a tight market with very explosive prices and, and, and strong moves every day. Uh, so yeah, we, we're expecting things to uh, to stabilise. Um, and as long as conditions remain fair over the next few months, we should be looking at a reasonable crop. Um, I would just say, you know, the UK in the context of the world market is is very very irrelevant and 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 again you know when I'm speaking to to, to farmers quite often I say we know prices are are likely to come under pressure because you know I, I've just seen you know crop conditions are looking excellent we've got some rain on the forecast it really doesn't matter what's happening you know it, it, either in in Lincolnshire Suffolk or, or indeed the UK yes it's going to have an impact from a from a the point of view of are we going to be an importer or an exporter that has a, a difference of around sort of fifteen to twenty pounds a ton. Then it's down to what happens in the wider world markets, and uh, and um, it, w- it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a podcast uh, without a bit of a, a, a plug. So um, so yeah, keep, if you want to keep abreast of all this and the the, the changes in these weather markets at the moment, uh, we do a daily market update, um, and uh, uh, you can sign up to that on our website. Um, uh, and the best thing is we won't charge you a penny. So uh, um, probably quite a good place to start to keep up to date with all of this in, in such a, a volatile market. <laughs> you could cut that out you could cut that out if you want no no we'll keep it in farmers love a freebie after all um that's all we have time for though today but a very big thank you to our guests james bolsworth john allen and chris walkland yes thank you very much for thank listening we will be back next friday um, along with chris hopefully as long as we can get him out on bail um, but for now, it's goodbye from all of us here. <laughs> Bye-bye. You can pay the bail money then. <laughs> <laughs>